Welcome back to Women in Product Marketing. I'm your host, Mary Sheehan with Adobe. Today I chat with Susan Spark Park, the head of product marketing for Oculus at Meta. This episode was a ton of fun for me personally, as we got to cover how to be female in a male-dominated space, taking risks, and the transition from B2B to B to B2C. Spark wisely asks us all, if you're not a little scared, are you really pushing yourself? Shout out to our sponsor, Clue. That's Clue with a K, the leading competitive enablement platform for product marketers who drive revenue for their business. Clue helps you collect, curate, and distribute competitive insights to enable sales and revenue teams to win more deals. Don't just compete, compete to win with Clue. All right, let's do this. Hello and welcome to Women in Product Marketing. I'm here today with Susan Park, also fabulously known as Spark, who's currently the head of PMM for VR work experiences at Meta, which is formerly Facebook. Spark has an incredibly successful career, starting in journalism, growing as a product lead at Google, and then moving into the product marketing world at Spotify, now with five years under her belt at Meta. Welcome, Spark. So happy to have you here today. Thanks for having me, Mary. I am so pumped to meet you and have an extended conversation, especially since we personally met on a ski slope like years ago. So the world is tiny. This the is only great. and the best place to be. So I'm so glad we're exactly. connecting here. Exactly. Well, awesome. Well, let's start out with my favorite question for this season, which is what are you the most proud of? Yes. So this, it actually hits me to the core because I've, and thank you for saying I've had an incredible career. It's been pretty great. But actually, one of the things I'm most proud of on reflection is something that I did really early in my professional life, which was probably still one of the hardest decisions when I think about it because I was so young. So I was in uh, flight school in the Navy and I was going to be a navigator. And it was one of the worst cultures I've ever been in in terms of toxic masculinity. And I decided to drop out and I felt like such a failure doing it. But upon reflection, I was really choosing myself and putting myself first in terms of the type of environment I wanted to be in an environment where I could be successful. And even though some might look at it as the fact that I dropped out, I think I'm so proud that I chose me, especially when I was 20 something, right? Like right out of college, had no idea what I was going to do next other than journalism potentially, because I was on this path to be an officer in the Navy for a significant amount of time. And I think doing that so early in my career, like putting myself in my mental health first has really helped fuel me to have the marathon career that I've had over the past 15 years. Because if I didn't make those early decisions to kind of prioritize myself and where I could succeed, there's no way that I would have been given the opportunities that I had later down the line, whether it's Google or things like that. So even though it was probably one of the toughest decisions I've ever had to make in my life, even though when I look back on it, it was a no-brainer because of just the mental state I was in at that point. Wow. Well, I'm proud of you too. I mean, it wasn't as in vogue at that time to fail fast and choose your mental health over your responsibilities and look what the outcome has been. It's been so amazing. So kudos to you for realizing that wasn't the great place for you to be and how you've been able to pivot so completely actually now twice to journalism and then to sort of the tech world after that 
to be able to have this amazing conversation today. So thank you so much for sharing that. I'm really excited that you made that decision too. It must've been really hard at the time. It absolutely was. And the more younger women that I meet, you know, cause we we're on, especially women who work in agencies and media or in areas where there's a lot of male dominated perspective. I always try to think about psychological safety, making sure that you're feeling safe and what you're doing, because I was literally in a place where I didn't feel psychologically or physically safe. And I knew how much that affected how my work output could be, because I was just as smart as a lot of those dudes, like Northwestern educated. It wasn't a factor of smartness. So I think another reason why I'm so proud of that decision is that it was a realization that this is not an environment where I can be the most smart even though I'm just as smart and just as physically fit as a lot of these people, this culture is not allowing me to do so. So going to leave that and find something that I did. And I think having that faith in yourself to find where you fit and drive a lot of that stuff earlier will help you succeed long-term because again, it builds a more sustainable career and helps you make some of these failure pivots that I've done. So again, I think that decision so young in my life when I didn't know a lot really kind of helped get me on the right path. And I was very lucky in a lot of ways, but I encourage, especially if there are other young women listening to think about that, because we get so caught up in the pressure and what it should be and the path they're moving on. But where can you be the most smart? Where can you be the best? And I feel very, very passionate that women should be finding those spaces for themselves too. Well, I just got the chills. Thank you so much for sharing that. That was really amazing. And Totally agree. You shouldn't be miserable. I think so many of us put up with so much stuff in our careers and, you know, managers that are not working in our favor or cultures that are just systemically putting women and people of color down. And I think that we need to make sure you're able to remove yourself from that situation if it's not serving you anymore. So that's really, really amazing. Exactly. And listen, I was lucky. I had my parents' couch to go back onto, so I had a safety net. So I think evaluating your safety net, but just always understanding what am I getting out of this company too? They're getting something out of me. I'm getting something out of them. What is that trade-off? And actually, that was probably one of my best conversations I've ever had with a very senior woman, Lexi Reese at Google, when I was unfortunately making the decision to leave. She was just like, listen, this job is a salary right? Like there's a trade-off between what you give and what you get back in these kind of ways that is a commercial product. So how would you use your brain to make these trade-offs as a commercial product? Taking that advice to heart in a lot of ways. And I've always been so thankful that she took the time to me to say that. I wish I had more time to work with her actually because of some of those things, but career nuggets like that through my life and having women be able to have those conversations with me have also been incredible, which is why I love doing things like this uh, and having these conversations. So thank, thank you again you so for having here. me. Yeah. Thank you for being here. And thank you for sharing <laughs> this knowledge right off the bat. We're, we're on good roll. This is amazing. Well, I'd love to hear more about what you're doing today. It sounds so exciting. Tell us all about it. And I understand you're wearing one of the products right now. So please, please, let's get into it. Yes, I am. It's really funny, especially since I was in, I've changed so much, but I am wearing the Ray-Ban stories and using them to listen to the audio that we're doing. And I think they look pretty good. It's too bad you guys can't see the audio. I mean, I think they They're look hot. stylish. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> they look great. Yeah, well, maybe we'll take a screenshot later and just like, <laughs> hey, you know, they actually look pretty good. 
but I am working in the reality labs section of Facebook, basically the innovation part of Facebook, which is currently called Meta. And it's been an incredible journey. I came into this part of the business about six months ago, and I've been so grateful that Meta has given me the opportunity to shift into a different part of the company and become part of the most innovative part of the company. What I'm working on is in the VR, virtual reality experiences, where you can actually see an Oculus behind me, where the idea is we'll be able to use virtual reality to be more productive. The biggest reason I joined is I've always worked remotely from a lot of the product teams that I've been working with because I've actually never lived in Silicon Valley, even though the companies I worked for, a lot of them, including the current one I work with, a lot is going on in Silicon Valley. So remote work and the ability to feel like you're there and project the best version of yourself is a very big passion point of mine. And that's exactly what I get to work on today at Meta. I'm working on what is our strategy for bringing virtual reality into the workplace and making people more productive in a human first perspective so you can project the best of you as a human into the internet and have it be tangible so you don't have to fly all the time and be there in person, but create those connections in ways where you are and shouldn't have to dictate the type of work you are allowed to do. That's super inspirational. I actually never thought about VR in that kind of application and helping us connect more in this virtual setting. And I know a lot of people around the world working remotely, or even those of us that are within 20 miles of each other right now, but can't go into the office together are feeling a little disconnected. So how fun would the the water cooler chats or the happy hours be if you were having these virtual reality experiences? I, I actually never thought of that as a use case. That's super cool. Exactly. And that's why I've been so happy to work at Meta. One, it's been, to be honest, the most female friendly company I've ever worked for, which I wow. think says a lot considering, you know, the places I've worked, especially the commercial business, because it used to be run by Carolyn Averson and obviously reports up to Shell Sandberg. So there's a lot of very impressive female talent. And obviously there's been a lot of female talent that have graduated to be CEOs of major businesses. So it's been an incredible place to work from that perspective. But from a product perspective, they are so human. We are so human first and how we think about the application of technology. So virtual reality in a lot of ways is being looked across in a, a bunch of different companies, but we're thinking about it from the human first, like how can we create better connections with people around it? I could talk about this for a very long time, but this is another reason why I was so attracted to Meta is because it's easy to do the tech, but it's hard to do the tech in a human first way and actually make it even look good. Like that's another reason why I wore these glasses today. It's just we're thinking about technology of where it can be so seamless and help augment what you're already doing. And it's just been an incredible space to enter in. And it's been quite a jump to move from B2B advertising into B2B and B2C productivity. But I've been very thankful that I have such a good core of understanding of the principles of product marketing that have helped me be really successful. And In a lot of ways, that's what I also want to talk to you about today is some of these core principles that can be applicable in most situations that I've seen help me be and help my team become successful across product marketing and launching products. That's awesome. And yes, we definitely are going to get to that. But first, let's talk about how you got to where you are. So we heard sort of the origin story, the fast fail. I'd love to pick up 
when you went into journalism and then how you kind of got into tech and how you got into product marketing from there? A surprisingly female story. My pledge mom for my sorority. Love it. <laughs> introduced me to someone at Google who gave me my foot into the door. I had a decent background, obviously going to Northwestern journalism school, all of that stuff, but journalism is not a lucrative profession and I am not from a lucrative background, which is why military scholarship, a bunch of things. So I had to make some practical decisions in life. If I ever wanted to move off my parents' couch, Google seemed amazing. Google seemed like a place where it was the cutting edge of technology. I got my foot in the door in sales as an account coordinator basically in the sales organization, learning tech. And that was my first route in. And I was so lucky I got that job in 2006 before the recession of 2007. So all timing was great. But what got me in was a recommendation from my pledge mom to her network that got me an interview and I got in. And then from there, I pivoted from sales into product marketing at Google and basically leveraged the great culture of Google to switch careers into technology. And I haven't looked back since. That's awesome. I have kind of a similar story. I actually started off in the same role. We had these, I kind of thought of them as pledge classes at Google. And that's where I met our mutual friend, mm-hmm. Lindsay Shirley. <laughs> so, yes. Yes. It's, yeah, it's nice to get in at, a, at an early stage if you can and kind of grow up in, in one of those big companies. I totally agree. And you meet the best people. Lindsay Shirley is why I got the job at Spotify. So similar type of story. We were both product leads. She was basically running the strategy on the Google contextual network. I was running remarketing. We were both like, there's got to be more. So we were both looking. She found me the job at Spotify. She found me the listing. And then through other connections, I got an intro. But she was actually the one who sent it over to me and was like, you should apply to this. You love music. They're building out an ads business you're very good at all of this stuff, go do it. And she's been one of the best sponsors and peer mentors in my career path. Without her, for sure, I would not be where I am today. And especially I would not be making as much money as I am today because we've always been open with what we get paid, like always with my peer set. And without her and those sorts of data points in my life, I honestly would not also be getting as much money as I currently am today. So I'm so grateful for what she's done for me in my career as well. Well, shout out to Lindsay and building those awesome networks and connections of other power ladies. And that's also one of my favorite topics is sharing your salary with your buds so you can understand what you're worth. So plus one to that for sure. Exactly. Okay. I was going to say, but I think what's been key to my journey is that no matter what, I just go to the most nascent part of a company (laughs) that has the best leadership that I can see. So at Google display, getting out of search saw that mobile was happening, moved to a company that was launching a mobile first platform and was launching the US, Spotify, because I fell in love with their mobile product. Then from there came to Facebook, moved into gaming ads because that was the cutting edge of what we could do from an advertising perspective. And now I've moved and come to as nascent as I can, I think at this point at the company at Meta, working in productivity experiences for virtual reality. I think even those types of moves Again, because so early I learned how to take risks, have also made my journey so interesting because if you go to areas that the industry is growing and the company is growing around it, you're due to be learning something new and you'll be future-proofing what you're doing next. I think too much men do these jumps more than women, to be honest. And 
I don't know why that is, but I always feel like I'm in rooms, especially when I start in some of these zero to one projects at new companies where it becomes more male dominated again. I also want to encourage women to start thinking about that, you know, go to more nascent parts of the company. You're still at a big company. If it doesn't work out, cool. You learn something. You're still a level X at that company. You can find another job. <laughs> so that's just another thing I would say that has helped my career path a lot. I don't necessarily chase the promos. I chase the opportunities and that's fine with me. I've made those decisions in life because of that. And I would encourage people to think about that too. I love that framework. I've actually never heard it laid out like that. And it makes so much sense. And I like how you've kind of described it also within the bounds of a big company. If you have the luxury of working at one to have a little bit of a safety net, but even thinking about some of the jumps, some of my more successful friends in life have made, they've also done that at smaller companies They've gone to, you know, mobile really early on, for example, and then they get reacquired by a Google or something. So they're constantly boomeranging. But yeah, I think I've oscillated. Sometimes I'll play it safe. Sometimes I'll jump to those new categories. But I like that just as a framework as looking at both the leadership, making sure there's people you'd feel comfortable working with that would champion you that are super smart, understand the industry, want to champion women, I'm sure is a criteria too. And then also parts of the business that are really growing and white hot internally that they have some resources coming to it. That sounds like a really fun strategy and one that's been really lucrative and successful for you. So love it. Thanks exactly. For that. It's scary because every time I make these switches, I'm entering a room where I am not the subject matter expert and I have to learn so much. So I understand why people don't do it. It's very scary. The first three months on this role, I was peeing my pants like every day (laughs) because I'm in these rooms with these PhDs on computer science theory and hardware theory about neural connections to virtual reality. It is intense and it's very philosophical, but I feel better for it now that I'm here and I feel so accomplished just from learning it, but it is scary. And so don't discount the scariness. But another thing I always say is that if you're not a little scared, are you really pushing yourself? I mean, It's psychological safety, as I've said, most important thing, like never get so scared that you can't function. But if you're not a little scared, are you really pushing yourself? And that's okay of where you want to be in life, because there's other things dictating what you want to do. More power to you for that, too. But you should have real talk conversation with yourself, you know, especially if you are in a position where like, hey, why am I not getting promoted? When was the last time you were stretched? When was the last time you were scared? If you're not... If you feel like you're not getting what you need, are you really pushing yourself? And it's it's the same kind of failure, I think, attitude. But again, this is things I picked up being in male-dominated professions is I see men do this way more. They enter rooms that they have no idea, but they've had frameworks to help them through this. Let's do that too. It sucks and it's scary, but it's fun. And sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. And as long as you have a safety net, you'll be okay. So well said. I want that on a bumper sticker. (laughs) Well, I also love that too. I think, I mean, what is probably interesting and you might not be aware of and sitting in the room when you're intimidated with these PhDs is they're probably intimidated by your marketing know-how. That is totally foreign to them. And I, I feel like sometimes when you drop those knowledge bombs and frameworks of marketing, I've seen people with that are a lot smarter than me, frankly, with PhDs kind of be blown away. So I, I do think there's something to be said of 
having confidence in the craft and having confidence in the parts that you know you can rock, even if you have no idea about VR, that industry as you're stepping in the door. So hopefully you've been able to lean on that. It sounds like you faked it till you made it really well. (laughs) A a thousand percent. Nothing is, I mean, this is why I want to talk about this framework again of just the four A's that I've kind of played around with and that I'll be presenting at the end of the month at the Product Marketing Alliance is just whatever framework you have that you have made successful, use it to your point because you are the voice of the product to the audience and the voice of the audience back to product, which is why audience is so important across all of this. And I'm coining a phrase from John Steinbeck, one of my favorite mentors in the world, because he basically came up with that phrase to define product marketing in this organization. And being that voice and that reality check in the room is so important. And you're right. That's why I'm here still. I'm not running in the fields. I'm here in six months because no matter what, I've always been able to pull in the customer voice, listen, think about what is needed and really focus on the audience. And that has driven a lot of my success. That's amazing. And I wanted to go back to the transition from B2B to B2C. And it sounds like audience might be a core principle of that connection. So I'd love to talk about how it's been going, what learnings you have. Selfishly, I've also just moved from B2B to B2C. So I'd love to pick your brain on it even more. (laughs) So I was also very lucky that prior to this, I had done some small projects at Spotify And we were so much smaller on some of the consumer side. So at least this wasn't my first time really getting into it. So I was able to speak about that in my interview processes. So that was very nice. But running a team focused on B2C is definitely the first time. This is why I think it's so important to think about this framework that I put together. And I'll tell you where it differs, in my opinion, from B to B to B to C. So I call the four A's of go to market. The first is audience. You are the voice of the audience to the product and the voice of the product back to the audience. You need to know everything about this audience. Like you are the field researcher of this audience, which is something one of my currently Megan Fitzgerald has talked about. And this is the center of your knowledge base. It is your core, Uh, similar to like your body in fitness. It is the most important. This is your powerhouse. When you move from your audience and maybe you have multiple of them, then you have to move into the second A, which is your angle. So what is your core value prop? What is your angle to this audience? What is the product solution to this audience? And hopefully these angles, even if it's to multiple audience sets, all like work together. You cannot have angles that do not work together. So first audience, and the second is your angle. What is your value prop? The third is what do you want to accomplish? So we have your audience, you have your angle. What are your accomplishments? What do you want to accomplish with this audience? What are your goals? What do you want to drive? Generally, from B2B to B2C, it's product adoption uh, or change behaviors or metrics, but you have to think of those three things. And the fourth is activate. So now that you know who your audience is, you know what the angle is and what you want to say for each of your audiences, you know what you want to accomplish with them. How do you activate? How do you actually make this happen? And from the B2B to B2C transition, the biggest thing that I've seen this difference is the activation side of it. The first three steps are the same. And actually, if you want to throw a fifth A in there, the Amazon press release exercise where you pre-write what your press release is going to be really gets through the first three A's and maybe a bit of the fourth, if you really want to kind of get it down on paper in terms of an exercise form. 
activation and maybe the simplification of the angle are the two biggest changes to B2C. Because one, you can't have a complex angle on B2C. It's got to be very simple because you're going very broad. And then second on activation, you are not working necessarily with a sales team, sales enablement, having people to speak to them. It's mostly media, social, very broad based perspectives. And you'll be working more with agencies and creative to speak for you versus people and going door to door in that perspective. So those, when I start thinking about that shift, this framework has been super helpful. I came into the launch of uh, Horizon Workrooms as it was in flight, working with a member of my team on it. And then one of the first analysis I did, it was just kind of look at these four A's and figure out what we're doing. I realized our goaling and a little bit of our value prop was a little fluid as, and our activation was pretty big and back. So we worked very closely with the lead of this, Yushi Wang, who is uh, a product marketer on it to kind of really put together the GTM story to make sure all of these were taken care of holistically. And the launch went pretty well. I think we got really great press cycles. The innovation story was very great. So it's been very interesting to see how this framework can move from B2B to B2C. And Honestly, I pretty much figured a lot of this stuff out, probably my first or second job at Spotify when we were launching video ads and thinking about the audience, the angle, what we were trying to accomplish and how do we activate them. And I made a lot of mistakes at Spotify. I was thinking a lot about the audience and the angle and the accomplishments, but the activation kind of fell down because what we were trying to do on that was get video ads sold on a sales force who mostly sold radio. So I totally missed the activation on how we need to activate the sales team and enable them to actually pivot their customer base and conversations into video. So that took us a whole year to correct that. So there's aspects to it that I've definitely failed at <laughs> in so many ways. But every time I look into a launch now, I think about these four A's and try to make sure we're covering our bases across them. But the flexibility comes with how we do it across this. And I think it's been really fun. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing this. What I love about this in particular is that it helps people that don't speak marketing to really quickly understand it. Because sometimes I feel like I'm speaking to an executive that isn't as familiar with product marketing about positioning and messaging. I get a little bit caught up in the lexicon of it all versus yeah. how it all goes together. But the angle, they'll get that. And the press release piece of it, that's brilliant to pull it all together. I've done that a few times, but I love this framework. This is great. And I understand you're actually giving the keynote in London at the Product Marketing Alliance event about I, this, right? Yes. I will be going into depth about it, going into lots of what I've learned about it. And also shout out to Yasmin, because the reason why I thought about this in a framework is because she was just like, it will be so much stickier if you can make it consistent. So shout out to her and thank you for the advice and the feedback on this. Cause I talked a lot to her about, you know, go to market strategies. And she's just like, I feel like you have a good perspective, but you got to make it more consistent and then it'll be more sticky. So thank you to her for the feedback awesome. as well. Another power lady, mutual friend, Yasmin Terehi, who has a, another show on Sharebird. So love it. Yes. She Always share with your marketing friends and see if they can help you make it stickier. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> we'll see if this goes anywhere, but I do think to your point, we love jargon. Product marketing loves jargon. Tech loves jargon. Everyone loves jargon, but it's pretty simple what we're trying to do in theory. 
Mm -hmm. execution gets really hard, right? Because I just laid out four major things, but there's so much in that decision set that you could do, you could not do. It's especially on the accomplishments, on the goal side, you know, what you want to set up. And then while you're going through this whole thing, it's so easy to lose sight of your initial audience as you work through this. That's been one of the bigger mistakes I've seen on launches as well, is where we've just lost sight of our audience. And then we ended up actually launching something that was so far away that, or we launched something to an audience that it actually wasn't relevant for because we had brought in the wrong people into the alpha and beta. So I'll go into a lot of these things and watch outs in the talk at the end of the month, but it's just also a nice checklist, I think, because we get into these a hundred line racy docs about all of the assets that we need to get done. And sometimes we just need to step back and think, did I cover the four A's? Yeah, that's so great. Yeah. And I've definitely had the same mistakes you laid out, especially with audience. I have a lot of examples about that. I think we could just have a whole show on just bombs and failures. (laughs) I mean, we could definitely do that. I think the factor of the audience is our superpower. And that's why I've loved product marketing versus product management, because obviously this four A's, these kick in after the product readiness document has been built, right? This is built after a lot of the core specs are in place. This isn't about the product strategy. This is about go to market, how we're going to take this product to market. So I want to be very clear on that. But generally, I think this is where product marketing superpower is. And if you are part of the product strategy, this will become even easier throughout all of this as well. So I do encourage you to try not to think about this just as a GTM function is when you're in the product strategy side of it too, think about ahead about how this will work as well. And that will help shape the right product too. Totally agree. Yeah. It's who you're building it for. What are they going to do with it? Can they buy it? All of those different pieces. And then how do you reach them with it within that? So yes, audience is such a great way to encompass this. Of course, the devil's in the details, but I like how you're just at a high level making it make sense for everyone in the organization. And I could see people taking this and using it out on all hands to explain to the engineering team what the strategy is or up to the CEO level. So this gives us a lot of teeth. So thank you for putting this together and we'll link your talk to the show so people can be able to connect the dots on that too. Yes. And yeah, feedback if I need to, I'm thinking about making more robust by actually going back to Yasmin and writing a medium article with her about it. I might have to figure that out to make it something more tangible that I'll follow, but I've been procrastinating. So I thought I'd do the talk first and then I'd make the written version of it. I think that's depending like on how idea. it landed. Yeah, put yeah. all your ideas together, get the framework, yeah. and then the writing will flow. I like doing that too. If you have a deadline yes. of the talk, then you yes. do it. So I agree. Yes. And then you have so many areas that you're a super human superpower in, but two areas for PMM specialization that I know you're really interested in are product strategy and telling more visionary stories. And what I found so interesting about that is usually when I'm talking to PMM superstars, they're kind of one or the other. They're either loving the part, working with the product managers and developing the roadmap and all of that, or they like the packaging aspect of it and telling that story and bringing that to life. But you have been able to do both really well. Can you talk about what you bring to the table with each of those and how maybe they're connected? 
Yes. So I look at my products as living organisms that grow and change, right? So this is why I love product marketing is because depending upon the life cycle of the product, you can do so many different things. So why I think I excel at these areas, because again, I always bring it back to the core of the product. What are we trying to accomplish and what are we trying to do? And creating through lines there. The product strategy, I agree with you. I think it's very interesting that people gravitate towards one or the other. The reason why I love the product strategy side is I actually love the background research, listening to clients, the whole journalistic investigative side of things, like really figuring things out and seeing where the industry is going, making these jumps. Because if you understand this from a product perspective, you could also use it to your own advantage, whether it's you know, choosing next career steps or even simple things of investment strategies and things like that. So I love just understanding what should be next. And I think that really is helpful for the product strategy side, because that's basically what we're trying to do. The other thing that I love to do is on the store is taking that product and just educating and sharing to people about it. I think this is all kind of in line with really thoughtful storytelling from the beginning to end, except I don't just want to tell the story of what we should do. I then want to build it, make it, and then make people adopt it. So I just think I love following a product through its entire life cycle and making sure it it does well, which is why I've stuck with roles for two to three years at a time, predominantly, even though I've switched within companies, because I know a lot of product marketers, and that's great, who really are good to go to market. So they kind of move to different go to markets. I know other product marketers who are better and they love to strategy and just do the strategy side of it. That's fantastic. I think, though, if you want to become a leader in a diversified product marketing team, it would be good to do both. So, one, that you understand the whole life cycle and that you've done it, but two, that you have the appreciation to make the path easier for whichever side is going to happen that you're going to need to move the product into next and identify what point in time that product is and what it will need to continue on. That's great. And I love the living organism piece of it. I think a lot of times after the launch, product marketers are like, great, great job. On to the next thing. But there's going to be more iterations of the product that you got to see if your launch strategy worked and iterate from there and continue to update that story. So I think that that is really amazing to be able to tie the dots to that living organism piece, but then also connect the dots with how you were mentioning about the product strategy really in parallel with the storytelling and how it kind of helps you up level and see that end to end responsibility set of a product marketer. So that's really amazing. Well, (laughs) okay. The other side of that too, is that if you understand that product strategy, you'll be so much better at bundling stuff in the go-to-market perspective and seeing the bigger picture of how it all should go. So it will make you better to do both. I think in certain exercises, especially on an industry level, because also what's part of our job is not just to launch something, but to make sure it makes sense to that audience. And if we can simplify it and package things together with the end thing, that is always better and understanding the product strategy of it and where the company wants to go with it will help tell that story over time and help you choose which products to do when to make sure you're telling the story longer term. So I really want to challenge all product marketers out there to not think about, even though the go-to-market launch is so hard to think about, okay, this launch is today. What is it in a year and a year and a half, two years? Because that's how your product manager is thinking about it. 
for better for us, because this is his business line, right? This is your commercial business line. He might be the strategy lead, but you are the commercial strategy person of this product. You should also be thinking about it, even though you're in the middle of the launch, what is the two to three year plan for this and how that is all going to shake through? Because then you'll have better ideas on how to drive the product next and live that through. Plus, then I'll be like your baby. Like I said, all of these products in my life have been very dear to me and I keep track of all of them. (laughs) And I think it will just help you become better, more thorough in how you want to approach things. I love it. So bring the product to life, your newborn baby, then to the toddler stage. As someone with a toddler, <laughs> that's how my frame of reference <laughs> No, literally a lot of people have talked about launches as actually more like the go-to-market is pregnancy. It's the preparation. And then you have the child <laughs> and then all of this other stuff happens. And people, I think, forget, oh, after I had the child, what it's going to do, what it's going to eat, how it's going to grow. How do I keep make sure it stays alive? There's so many similarities, which is also why I think product marketing is such an amazing living thing is that you can move to so many different parts of it. You can grow with it as your products grow, or if you just like having babies or you just like doing launches, just do that. You know, it's a great profession to be in. So I just hope more and more people take it up. There's another great medium article somewhere in there, this birth analogy. <laughs> to the product yes, line. I will credit this all to Yushi Wang, <laughs> the product marketing manager on Horizon Workrooms who came up with this thought too. So I think I'm very lucky I get to work with such great people. I totally agree with you. That's really, really cool. And thanks for mentioning some of the folks along the way. And speaking of people that have been really in- influential to you, I wanted to move into the rapid fire questions. And you've talked about a lot of the people today. So Wanted to see, are there any other PMM or kind of life marketing mentors that have really impacted you along the way? There have been a ton and I feel bad not mentioning all of them, but I would say Desiree Motomedi Ward, who is now the VP of product marketing at Shopify. Oh, she, she was, was my boss first... at Google too. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. So many connections. We worked together on remarketing back in the day and she is such a badass. And she was the first real badass product marketer I think I've ever seen operate, like operate on the strategy side, nail, go to market, like bring it all together. And I was like, yeah, this is good stuff. <laughs> <I> and <agree. laughs> she's a, a lot of times been someone I've just gone to, especially when I came back to meta, I just been, can you help orient? She's very transparent. She's amazing. I would definitely work with her anytime. Goksu, I butcher her name. I'm sorry. Nebel Perlman, who's a, a director at product marketing at Meta <laughs> on the ad side, has been one of the people who have mentored me throughout my journey at Meta in such significant ways and has been amazing. But I also don't want to discount men in my career who have sponsored me because I think this is really important. I actually have a lot of sponsors or mentors in my personal board, if you will, which is something I've learned also here at Meta, is that there's different mentors who perform different functions. I've had a lot of men in my life be sponsors for my career. John Steinbeck, who is one of my early mentors. Rick Kelly, who is the VP of the gaming ads business that I worked for, helped sponsor me to build out a product marketing team in gaming and help me make a lot of pivots in life. And he is forever going to be one of the people I'm most grateful for, for just opening up a whole new career opportunity for me within gaming that could pivot into this other area. And he took a chance on me and it's fantastic. 
I think, again, we can't discount and can't stop looking for mentors and sponsors, especially with how the world is today with people who look like us, because honestly, there are not that many women in these senior positions. So I think they're inundated with a lot of these perspectives. So if I've always taken upon myself to build strong relationships in a sponsorship perspective, especially with male colleagues or anyone who I've connected with in these ways, because in a lot of ways, we need more men to sponsor more women. And that's how we'll get more equal. Because today, a lot of men are sponsoring men because these are the people within their first consideration set. Rick Kelly, John Steinbeck, a lot of fantastic leaders I've met at Meta. Even my previous life, Spencer Fraser, who I worked with at Google, Gary Liu, who hired me at Spotify. Men have taken chances on me to do a lot of these things. And we need to encourage more men to sponsor more women to make a lot of this stuff happen because there's just not enough of us running around at this point. And honestly, being a woman is exhausting <laughs> between uh, work, having to look pretty good, and then, you know, the women health things that we have to deal with as a woman who's trying to build a work-life balance. We have to deal with a lot. So I actually truly understand. I'm so grateful for the Desirees and the Goksus of the world who take the extra time to mentor women because I'm so exhausted. I can barely do it. So I'm trying to find more men to do that for other women because not that they have less time. I'm not saying that, but there's so many more of them. And that they, some of them might have more free time than others at different parts of the time. So don't close that door if you can. And they'll be amazing, just as they are to any person in their career path, because they're it's just good people, you know? Well, amen to that. And we do have a lot of men listeners. So make sure you take note of that and pay it forward. I think that's the only way there's going to be more women at the leadership level. So totally love that suggestion. Thanks for calling that out. If you were to boil it down and say that there's one thing that's been most important in your career, what would you say that is? Not being afraid to fail. Go for it. Great. Another good bumper sticker. (laughs) What about networking? Love it? Hate it? Do you do it? (laughs) I am an extrovert who loves introverts. So I prefer this type of networking. I'm good at all sorts of it, but I think this comes from the journalism side of me. I ask a lot of questions and I want to know your real story. So I prefer this. It takes a lot of time, but I think it's so valuable. So even if you're not an extrovert, I encourage you to start meeting with more people one-on-one if you can. Lunch clubs, do podcasts, meet people one-on-one and see if you connect. Totally agree. I've been doing that so much more virtually than I did prior to COVID. So that's been kind of one silver lining for me is not just the podcast, but having one-on-one meetings with people all over the world that I might not normally have, you know, felt comfortable reaching out to or same way. It's just easy to pop a 30 minute thing on the calendar rather than trying to meet up for a drink in in the big city. So I think that take advantage. (laughs) Exactly. Virtual coffees are your best friend. Eileen Naughton at a breakfast for women forever ago. So she used to always clear her Friday mornings for mentorship conversations because very rarely could it get scheduled over because it would be like 8.30 on a Friday. Hmm. So I've always tried to keep my Friday mornings open and have conversations like this as possible, which is kind of what you're doing right now with us. So thank you. So you're already living by those rules. The other thing I would say, networking, I think is a lot like dating. 
if he's, yeah, you're not going to love everyone. She, exactly. <laughs> you're not going to love anyone. And guess what? You might be into someone, but they might not be into you. <laughs> Don't take it personally. Yeah. On to the I next one. <laughs> exactly. I literally created a mentorship event at Meta where it was just kind of speed matching. You get to meet with four people and you get to talk about it and see how it goes. A lot of times imagine heaven didn't get made, but I, that's real life, mm-hmm. right? Sometimes on paper, but in person, it just doesn't work. So just treat it like dating, get out there if you want to find it. That's such great advice. I love that. All right. Last question for you. I can't believe it. Why product marketing? It's way more fun. It is so much more fun. (laughs) You get to think about how you teach people how to use this product. It's fantastic. You get to be creative and you get to be technical. You get to have strategic perspective on what's happening next. And then you also get to work on the execution and driving a campaign. It's got so much facets to it. There's so many places to grow in it. I'm so lucky I discovered this profession that works so well with my strengths and I'm probably going to be in it for a very long time. Love it. Well, fabulous conversation. So fun to reconnect with you. So many knowledge bombs in this conversation today. (laughs) Can't wait for everyone to hear it, but thank you so much for sharing today. You're such an inspiration and it's just been amazing to get to hear your story. So thanks so much, Spark. No, you, Mary. It's been so great. I learned a lot from your feedback and your perspective on all of this stuff. You are also incredibly inspirational. I'm so grateful that you do this for us every week and take the time to do it out of your busy schedule. So thank you so much for these opportunities. Well, it's people like you that make it happen. So thanks again and congrats on your upcoming talk and can't wait to see what's next for you in your career. Stay in the know about your competitive landscape with Clue. Share real-time insights across your organization with Clue's dynamic battle cards delivered everywhere your sales reps live through integrations with Salesforce, Slack, HighSpot, and many more. With Clue, you'll never let your sales team be blindsided by competitors again. Crush your competition with Clue. That wraps another episode of Women in Product Marketing. Be sure to subscribe and share Women in Product Marketing with someone you think will love it. Next week, I speak with Christy Roach, the head of end user marketing at Airtable. Thank you so much for all of your support and catch you next week.